Welcome at How to Buy Design, the monthly meetup organized by Blue City Lab, where we search for answers on how to buy design with our international community of pioneers. We dive into our oceans, explore the organisms in the soil, look at human and non-human organisms, from the Netherlands to Central Asia. Let's get started. My name is Emma van der Leest and I'm a bio-designer working in the field of the intersection of design, biology and technology. And as a founder of Blue City Lab, I'm very proud to host this new series. Actually, we are already almost at the end of the whole series. In these monthly meetups, I meet experts from all over the world to talk about a specific theme to facilitate interactions between pioneers who are already working and those who want to get started in the field of biodesign and biofabrication. At Blue City Lab, we believe that true circularity starts with regenerative design, design that lead to a vibrant and diverse city in which ecological, social and economic values work together in a positive way. And tonight's topic is fantastic fungi. We already had a few that were about fungi, but today we are especially talking about the factories of the future, so how fungi can uh, fuel a new business model, for example, and especially we will talk about the patents. And of course, fungi can provide solutions where plants cannot, for example, they are not uh, at another place in the circle of life. Pigments, packaging, construction materials and paint are applications we already know and that we see that are made with the help of, uh, of fungi. Yet, how can we work with these promises of using fungi as factories of the future when a large, of the, large part of the fungi has been patented? Um, are other designers not allowed to use the fungus of, for example, ecovative, for instance? Uh, tonight we want to find out and start the conversation uh, how to maximize the impact of using fungi and how the juridical structures can support that impact. And of course, at every How to Buy Design I have a co-host, a co-host expert, and today we have Mark Slegers, and maybe you already noticed he is next to me in the studio. So welcome, Mark. Thank uh, you, Emma. Yeah, Mark is actually trained as a biotech engineer here at the Rotterdam University. Um, he made an interim foray into the ICT and then he worked for quite a few years in the energy sector. And more than 10 years ago, he started to focus on sustainability as an entrepreneur and he came uh, or he yeah, met the blue economy. Um, via the green economy. <laughs> and actually in 2013, he joined Simon Cox and they started growing mushrooms here in the, the, the cellar, actually the old beauty salon of the swimming pool uh, on coffee grounds. And their company is called Rotterswam. Um, a few years later, they took the, in the initiative to actually start Blue City in general. And with Rotterswam, they are the pioneers in the field of edible mushrooms used to maximize the value of organic residual flows in urban environments. They have also converted this knowledge and experience into a training course from which uh, more than 50 entrepreneurs worldwide have risen to use their knowledge in their own environments. And they strongly believe in sharing knowledge and see collaborations as key to the circular economy. Today, or actually at the moment, their focus is on making the technology scalable and optimizing the business model in order to allow mushroom cultivation on local residual flows to flourish in many cities with mycelium. Um, nature is a big source of inspiration for them to shape a new economy where there is prosperity in biodiversity. So welcome, Mark. Thank you very much, Emma. Very nice to be here. And um, yeah. Nice to hear something about myself on that way. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. and and Mark, of course, uh, at Rotterdam, you're you're working with also with mycelium, so the the root-like structure of uh, of mushrooms, and uh, you will give us a bit of of insight how that works from your perspective, growing edible mushrooms and working also with the with the license, right? Yeah, definitely. So we use coffee grounds to um, and mycelia, and the mycelia uses coffee grounds as a source material to generate at the end uh, the mushroom itself. And that we source, we harvest and sell to uh, to clients. And with the mycelia itself, we don't do anything at the moment. We just finished a, a, a three-year um, investigation about using that product to get it back into the soil. 
to seed as a soil enhancer for just general uh, farming. Uh, but that's the only thing we do at the moment with the end, uh, end product of mycelia. And you also prepared something for us, right? I prepared something uh, a little bit indeed. So this is a small picture about our current mushroom farm. Uh, what you see is um, uh, in an urban environment, we put together mobile mushroom containers. Um, for the people in the podcast, uh, I try to visualize a little, little bit better. It's uh, just uh, an urban area, a uh, parking lot with uh, eight containers on it, reefer, old reefer containers, cooling containers. We don't use the equipment uh, that is usually in it. And we transform that into a technology climatizing system where you can mimic nature uh, from summer to, uh, to autumn. And on that way we can uh, control the, the, the mushroom, the fungi. And next to that, of course, some production units. And it's all covered by solar panels. Um, so we focus uh, not to have the highest yield, but the, to become energy neutral. Uh, because we have limited space, we only have a certain amount of uh, solar panels. And on that way, sometimes in summer, when you need a little bit more cooling, we, uh, we manage that and say, okay, maybe it's not better to cool more but to become uh, energy neutral instead of having always the same quality and all uh, the same yield uh, on the mushrooms. So that's more our focus on having the, the most value from our resources. And from there, uh, we use um, a certain strain uh, for the mushrooms. And uh, we learned from that that the strain we use is a sporeless variety. Yeah, here we see the picture in the inside uh, in the reefer container and there you see a lot of bags hanging. It's like sausages, big bags from about 50 centimeters, uh, all covered in mycelia. And from some of the, the, the bags, uh, the mushrooms come out. We cut some holes in it and in that way the mushroom finds its way out uh, to, uh, to fruit, as we say it. And uh, they start fruiting from about three weeks uh, after making the substrate. And then the, the mushroom grows uh, from nothing to yeah, edible and harvestable mushrooms in about five days. And that's what we harvest. And um, we use a certain strain because we generate uh, the mycelia and uh, for example, so also the mushroom in an enclosed environment. Normal, traditionally, uh, oyster mushroom generates a lot of spores. And they're that tiny. If you breed them in every, every time, um, it's not good for your health. We didn't know that in the beginning and uh, all of a sudden we were explained by uh, some experts from Wageningen University that it's dangerous to breed in that strain, uh, the spores of the mushroom uh, every day. You got damage in your lungs uh, really fast. So we found out that there is a sporeless variety of the grey oyster mushroom and that is patented uh, or there's a license on it and uh, we use that, uh, that mycelium because it's good for our health. Another thing that is uh, we were working on is uh, that we learned that uh, by harvesting the mushroom, if you cut it into pieces and uh, put it together again, it grows back again. So there's generating mycelia again from the root of the, the, the head of the, the mushroom itself. And by putting that in a breedable bag, uh, you can generate sort of a big sausage. And you can slide it into uh, parts. You can just bake it and it's just a, a, a burger without any additives. And we looked into what can we do with it because we are not food experts. Um, so we looked into how can we protect this technology so it's not being patented by, for example, McDonald's or something like that. So we looked into a technology and it's called a research disclosure. And that uh, protects this knowledge that it is published and uh, open in the air. So everybody can use it. That's the way we look at sharing knowledge uh, by protecting it on a really cheap, uh, cheap way. Um, maybe the last one um, is about that we also have a license uh, way how we work with some knowledge uh, we use. So we generated a, a product for the consumer market. market. It's a small bucket uh, where you can buy the spawn uh, included. And you add your coffee every time, coffee grounds every time you use your coffee. And um, from there, the mushroom will grow out in about four to six weeks. And uh, also there, um, we shared it uh, with the people we trained. And they sort of uh, pay a small license fee to uh, have their own brand on it and uh, use it in their own, uh, in their own 
climate and their own uh, environment in their own country uh, to sell the product to the consuming market. And that way we have sort of a license uh, agreement uh, with a few uh, a few people. That's part of what we do with the mushroom farm. We have plenty uh, more uh, interesting things, uh, but we believe really in open source and uh, using the world as an, uh, a platform where we um, uh, massively expand uh, knowledge and uh, share it with, uh, with each other. Well, thanks, Mark. And well, of course, you have a background in, in biotech. It's not uh, microbiology, but you can also, you know, you could also have decided to develop your own sporeless oyster mushroom, maybe. I don't know. Have yeah, you we look, about it? of course, and that's also the people we train. That's almost the first thing they ask, and they say, oh, but then you can just regenerate the mycelia because you have it. Why not uh, buy Why buy it with uh, Sylvan? And um, well, we know how difficult it is and how important it is to have really good quality uh, spores. Especially because of food, right? Yeah, you make food, but also um, the regeneration and the mutations of uh, fungi is really high. So the quality will always be um, going down in your yield or your production. uh, And the risk of failure, yeah, we think it's stupid. And uh, it costs quite a lot of uh, uh, technology to make good quality uh, spawn. Um, So we always say, just buy it. It's just a few cents and it's not worth it. Yeah, so you actually pay for the painted, patents uh, developed by Silvan or actually by the Wageningen University to no, use this, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, it's generated, it's uh, produced in um, assignment of the uh, foundation of oyster mushroom farmers in Holland. They asked Wageningen to generate a sporeless variety and that is produced by Wageningen and they invested a few million in it and um, they put it on the market under a patent. And at the moment, Sylvan is the only one that is allowed to generate that mycelia. Uh, and there we have to buy it, and we just pay a small fee to cover the research cost of, uh, of Wageningen. And it's just simply because they are the only company that is that are producing this poreless... Yeah, at the moment, uh, there is, and there's, I think they're opening the market that more uh, Sylvan-like companies are allowed to uh, uh, produce it. But... I don't know the exact uh, moment of it. And also there, I think within a few years that patent will be finished um, and then it's open for the whole market. Okay, yeah. so at, at one moment the patent will finish, that means that it becomes open source? or um, I don't know exactly, but most of the patents have a time limit. Okay. Um, so after a certain amount of years, it's common, common ground, ground and sense for, uh, for a community. So everybody can then use the technology. That's interesting. Yeah. There was another question. Uh, have you done any selection for more aggressive growth or, or bigger yield on coffee grounds? Or is the oyster mushroom just the, the best species? Yeah, it, uh, oyster mushroom has a lot of uh, advantages. It's really fast and really flexible. So it can uh, grow really fast and it's not really that selective on what kind of material it grows. Um, and also the environment where it grows in is quite uh, flexible. So it's a little bit too hot. A little bit too cold, it's not a problem. It will adapt and uh, make it uh, possible. If you have a little bit warmer climate, the oyster mushroom, the the pink one, is even faster uh, and nicer, uh, but uh, they generate spores. Uh, So there you have to have a lot of equipment for yourself, uh, but that one is really interesting as well. But um, we choose not to focus on uh, different mushrooms because we focus not on generating mushrooms. The mushroom for us is is a, a mean to create value from a waste stream. Okay. I really like the pink ones, though. Yeah, they're really nice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. Well, we also have another speaker in the room that knows a lot about fungi, and we have plenty of more time to talk to Mark as well later on. Uh, so our first guest tonight is Nick van Biese, uh, who has been my co-host in another few sessions about fungi. Nick is one of the uh, pioneers here in our laboratory, And he has an expertise of over 30 years in the fermentation of fungi and has experience in industrial biotechnology with a more applied focus on microorganisms in an industrial environment. He used to work at various companies like Unilever, TNO and Coppert Biological Systems and uh, he works with filamentous fungi. Uh, Welcome back, Nick. 
Hello, Emma. Hello. <laughs> nice to be on the other side of the, the table uh, for once. Yes, because you will also explain a bit more about the field of uh, patents uh, in combination with fungi. We heard a bit about food, of course, or the you know edible mushrooms. You will also explain a bit more about the other side of, of using uh, fungi for materials. And you... Um, you can start straight away with your presentation. Thank you very much. Now, I have uh, some slides uh, prepared. And of course, also for the podcast, I will make it as visual as possible. The title of this session was very intriguing. Eh? The factories of the future and uh, talking about patenting. And if you uh, yeah, look up uh, silly cartoons on the internet, you can find plenty of them. I like the left one very much. Eh? And, uh, and, and the Neanderthaler who has invented fire and a wheel. But he cannot say that it is his wheel or his fire because uh, the other guy, the other Neanderthaler has invented the patent. So the wheel and the fire, well... Of course, a lot of a little bit ironically, but they belong uh, to that guy, in fact, because he has the patent. And uh, I will share some past things about patents and later on also come to the biotech part more of what is going on in this whole patent field. Well, a short introduction of myself. Uh, Emma already uh, said a lot of things. Uh, well, uh, 30 years of experience, uh, worked with a lot of companies and contract research organizations. Uh, yeah. In fact, I started my internship at the Rotterdam uh, well, Technical University also, in, on, on, and my internship was also, in fact, in, with uh, fungi, and uh, about 30 years or 35 years later, I'm still working on these kind of topics. Uh, experience from laboratory scale uh, cultivation, still production scale, and then we talk about 20 cubic meters or 100 cubic meters, and uh, that, uh, in the end, you would like to produce a little bit more of your fungus uh, in the end. Ten years ago, I started a small company, Bioanalytics from Visa. If you put your own name behind it, then you can claim your title directly or your 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 company name because Bioanalytics you will find on the internet. Started with doing some analysis stuff, and later on, uh, uh, well, in fact, beginning this year, I started as a full-time freelancer in the field of the biotech and analysis. And uh, I also became a uh, blue citizen, uh, uh, what I called in the fungi lab. And I'm just only 57 years old and I have two sons, two cats, and I have only one wife. Uh, uh, that's more than enough. Um, I just found up, uh, well, looking up something about, well, what is a patent more or less? And if you just find it, well, a, a definition, a patent is, well, the granting of a property right by a sovereign authority to an inventor. And this grant provides the inventor exclusive rights to the patented process design or the invention for the design period uh, in exchange for a comprehensive disclosure of the invention. So that means uh, a, a lot of words, but uh, <clears throat> basically what it says is uh, uh, patents are, are valid for a certain amount of time. Uh, you heard the, the story about the Spopol strain that, well, that will expand in an, uh, a couple of years. Uh, patents must also be true. Because if they are not true, uh, you can be sued for it. And 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 uh, a publication in an article or in, in a journal, well, that doesn't matter. That don't need to be true or the, that, that does not need to be true. But the patent must be true. So what you find always in patents are always extreme claims. Uh, grow temperatures between zero degrees and 100 degrees. Because somewhere in between, well, there should be definitely... Uh, uh, the, the, the right temperature, for instance. So having this in mind, I looked up uh, some nice patented situations and, uh, well, to visualize it also for the people who are listening, uh, well, uh, I, I, I don't know if people know the, the candy Smarties. Uh, in fact, it is popular in, in the Netherlands or in Europe. And, uh, well, nowadays you also find uh, M&Ms and you think probably, well, they are both identical. But no, they are not identical. Eh? You have two guys, Forrest Mars and George Harris. And those guys, they were confectioners, eh? so candy makers, I call it. Uh, one was working at Mars and the other one was working at the future, what is now called Nestlé. But the idea of sugar-coated dragees that was initially coming from Nestlé in 1937. So, in fact, it was prior art. It was the knowledge of the company Nestlé. Uh, those guys, they went to uh, Spain and in the, during the, the Spanish Civil War, they saw that soldiers, they were eating these uh, dragees, uh, uh, which were uh, at that time uh, the Smarties. 
And uh, yeah, they eat them because they give them a lot of energy. Yeah, there is sugar around it. There is uh, uh, chocolate inside of it. And uh, well, they also do not melt in the in the in the hot sun. And uh, those guys, they 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 also became friends with each other, uh, Mars and Harris, and uh, they make up a kind of a gentleman's agreement uh, uh, to share the market of these candies. And uh, what you will see nowadays is that in the USA you cannot find. Uh, Illegal, or you can only fight illegal uh, uh, Smarties in the USA because officially uh, Smarties will not be uh, imported into the USA. And well, that's quite funny because also uh, uh, the the Mars company uh, they patented later on uh, the M Ms. So you can uh, imagine: from is this well a valid uh, uh, product because it is uh, uh, well copied more or less for Smarties? There is prior art also uh, over there, so there is already knowledge known. But nevertheless, well, these guys they they didn't end up in in the in the courts uh, to 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 fight uh, against all these things. And well, in fact, the whole world is now uh, covered. What you will see uh, with Smarties and M and M's, and it is just a simple thing about well dealing with a patent. Another thing which I find very intriguing that is this patent that is from uh, well Jonas uh, Salk. Uh, he's the inventor of the first polio vaccine in 1955. And in fact, uh, well, similar like uh, what Mark is doing with Rotterdam, uh, to maximize its global distribution of the vaccine, he decided not to patent it. Uh, that that is uh, uh, differently what you see nowadays in the COVID uh, vaccines, because all those guys, uh, well, I, I searched up on the internet, but they are still patenting or, or at least uh, uh, doing all kinds of things in it. Nevertheless, they also came to a kind of agreement to at least, well, to, to release the vaccine as fast as possible. But this guy, he was, uh, well, uh, uh, decided not to patent it, and that resulted directly that in 1959, so only four years later, that this Salk vaccine that has already reached 90 countries. So imagine what uh, uh, could have been done that if he has patented this, this vaccine and, 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 well, how much more injuries or, or, or people get sick of this, this, this horrible uh, disease. So that was, uh, well, quite some nice uh, thing. And I think, well, he also was rewarded for that. And uh, nowadays, yeah, patents in pharmaceutical industry, yeah, they are more or less the cash cows and they are the reason also for uh, the high price of medicine. So nevertheless, he decided, well, not at all to, to patent this uh, whole situation. I think I come now more closer to my own, uh, uh, well, technology more or less. I used to work for TNO in the past. And, uh, well, in TNO, we had a fungal uh, group working on, uh, well, the production of proteins with uh, filamentous uh, fungi. Uh, that group was split off and uh, became an, 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 an independent company, uh, Dutch DNA. And uh, Dutch DNA is beginning this year taken over by the big company, Ginkgo Bioworks. Uh, but in the beginning, uh, well, 1998, I was working at TNO in that group of the fungal biotech. And they discovered, for instance, a nice, uh, uh, that we are producing their, uh, uh, what they nowadays call precision fermentation, uh, producing proteins with filamentous fungi. Uh, now we have a nice buzzword for that. In that time, we call it homologous of heterologous protein expression. And um, the, the thing is that they, they, they find at that time a an, an substrate, which is called the suicide substrate. Uh, you think maybe that's quite horrible. But um, the, su the suicide substrate is just an elegant way to find uh, strains which are not capable of degrading your own produced proteins at that time. Eh? Uh, fungi, they are capable of producing proteases. Eh? We also have a nice session on enzymes. So enzymes who are eating other proteins, uh, that's the way how you digest your meat or, or other, uh, well, proteins which you consume. And uh, protease levels, they should be as low as possible because then you can have the highest production of your protein of interest, which you would like to make. Now, with the substrate, if you grow your fungus in the presence of the substrate and it produces a lot of proteases, then that suicide substrate will be transformed in a toxic component and he will not survive. So in fact, it's it's a kind of uh, a screening method to get rid of your undesired uh, strains. So the strains which are growing in the presence of the suicide substrate always have a low protease uh, uh, or low protease mutants and they will not degrade your protein of interest. 
So, and also what we, uh, well, in, in, in 1998, uh, did this suicide substrate, uh, because I know the name, of course, but uh, I'm also old and uh, obsolete, so I already uh, do not know it anymore, more or less. But the substrate was, at that time, uh, during all kinds of uh, team meetings we had, was, was known, and then it was also decided in that meeting, more or less, for guys, from now on, we do not call it, uh, well, the molecule name, blah, 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 what we just call it, the suicide substrate. And uh, TNO also, because they were very keen on patents, they also decided not to patent it. Because if you patented it, it should be true. So then it is written down in a patent and everybody can copy your invention. So they just decided to say it. It's just called the suicide substrate. And what is going on that now after, uh, well, 22, 23 years, uh, Ginkgo Bioworks or Dutch DNA, I must say, are still using this technology, which is also, well, described in this uh, <coughs> paper written by Machtel Braaksma. And uh, yeah, I call this a perfect example of the nice Coca-Cola model. Uh, Coca-Cola, uh, I think it is already invented uh, 150 years ago, but nobody knows what is the recipe of Coca-Cola. Yes, there are lots of copycats but they are not Coca-Cola. And nowadays, yeah, the trademark is so strong, well, that they will never get uh, uh, get rid of the market anymore. My last slide is just an, 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 uh, coming back to more the, the, the composite uh, matrices, and then uh, Jan will probably uh, continue on that further. Um, yeah, and, and that's also uh, more or less my own uh, personal perspective on, uh, well, the patents on fungal composite matrices. So if you talk about biocomposite and, uh, well, ecovative, uh, you see that, that a lot of patents, about 50% of all the patents over there, they are covered by uh, ecovative. And if you also look to that whole, well, field of who is patenting, uh, well, this kind of stuff, uh, a fungus in combination with an, a, a straw or coffee grounds or whatever, uh, you find a lot of patents which are, uh, well, filed in, in the USA, in China, and, uh, well, that's it. And strangely enough, uh, unless we are the Silicon Valley of uh, the fungus here in the, in the Netherlands, uh, we don't have any patents in Europe. And uh, is that because we are, well, so how do you call it? Nuchter in Dutch, uh, sober, uh, that, that we do not patent this because is there not a lot of prior art about this? And is it perhaps not easier to have a license than to start to, to start uh, opposition against that company, for instance? Because if you talk about, uh, uh, well, mycelium, uh, what Rotterdam is also doing, uh, uh, you have organic matter and you mix it with a mycelium, you let it grow and you make artificial logs. Is that not similar as a composite? a biocomposite, which you make for an, 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 a coffin or a lampshade, a wine cooler. And why fits this or falls this into a patent? And, 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 and the, the, the biocomposite which we make to have our, well, mushrooms coming out of it are not under a patent. So we have a kind of food area and we have a kind of, well, the rest of the world area. And... Of course, uh, uh, creative enough to, to 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 circumvent these kind of things, I should make it, uh, and that's also why there is not so such a lot of opposition against these patents. Uh, just make your, for instance, your uh, lampshade, and just call it that it is an, for you a way to produce your mushrooms because uh, there is a lot of prior art of it, and you cannot patent it. But only the yield is very poor. Yeah, you get zils mushrooms out of it, and 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 nevertheless, you have a lampshade, which is made of mushroom mycelium. And that's why I also try to illustrate that with, uh, well, this cartoon in it from, uh, well, I call it old wine in new bottles, but uh, I'm, I'm sure that Jan has a different opinion about it. But uh, uh, this is more or less, uh, well, what I would like to uh, stop my uh, talk here, uh, Emma. Yeah, it's it's very fascinating that it's there's such a distinct between uh, food and, and materials, apparently. And also that the US and China holds a license, but in Europe we don't. Um, so yeah, I'm also very curious about yeah how how Jan will uh, think about this whole field. Mark, how do you uh, feel after Nick's talk? Yeah, I'm also impressed by by what he what he's talking about, and uh, uh, nice to look at how you can look at different uh, ways uh, in uh, in using it as a patent or misusing it uh, on that way as uh, indeed a low yield producing uh, lamp. 
Um, yeah, interesting, uh, interesting way to look at it. But maybe it's good to introduce uh, Jan as well. Jan Berbe, going back into the license of the fungal uh, strains. American company Ecovative first introduced the Mycelia technology in 2006. With more than 40 patents in 31 uh, countries, most Mycelia compon- uh, composites and materials on the market are actually made under a license from Ecovative. Entrepreneur Jan Berbe is one of them, a Dutch uh, entrepreneur. Jan started Grown in 2016, coming from the packaging industry. It was time for radical change in materials as well as in systems, he believes. Jan is an entrepreneur with a strong interest in innovation and sustainability. He's now using Massilia, the root-like network of mas- uh, mushrooms mixed with Dutch hemp fires, to change the world of packaging. Together with his business partner, Arthur Mormay, they run the company Grown, where they grow products and organic waste of, with organic waste from hemp and mycelia. The end result is both natural and marine, compostable, and the best alternative for styrofoams. This makes it not only usable as packaging, but also for interior objects or in the world of building and construction. Welcome, Jan. Yeah, you can... Uh Straight away, start with your presentation. Wonderful. Thank you, guys. I will take you along in the, the journey that we uh, we went through in the last six years. Uh, it started, in fact, in 2014, uh, when I only knew uh, the, the top part of the picture, which is the, the, the champignons, the, the, the mushrooms. I had not even heard of mycelium. Back then, I uh, had started my company, Packaging Innovators, which was a consulting company to help other small and medium-sized businesses reduce the footprint of packaging. And it was in this period that I learned the, about the word mushroom packaging, of which I thought was just the name for uh, the blue plastic bin of the, of the mushrooms you buy in the supermarket. But my uh, search brought me to uh, indeed to a company called Ecovative, who does... Uh, well, who uses the function of the mycelium mainly as a binder uh, and certainly not to, uh, to grow mushrooms. And, uh, and I mean, I was, when, I, when I started looking at the, the TED talk of Eben and, uh, and, and, and calling them, I started to become more and more enthusiastic, which in fact led to a sort of cooperation in the beginning where I was uh, uh, selling mycelium products in Europe uh, on behalf of Ecovative. Uh, completely unsustainably uh, shipping it over from the States into Europe to, uh, to bring it to the customer. But uh, soon after, uh, I started to get the, the substrate in, still from the States, but at least making the molds myself and uh, filling the molds in my house. Uh, and mainly looking at, uh, at packaging applications because A, that was my background, and B, I, I see in the product so many properties that are perfect for packaging, uh, not only the, uh, the shock absorbing, but certainly also insulating. Think about medical packaging, water resistance. Uh, we've, we're also trying, for example, fish packaging now. Um, and some of the other properties uh, already made me think of markets that I am not really very much aware of, was not very much aware of, like uh, uh, the construction markets. But uh, it was much too early for that uh, because at that time I was still using uh, the, the substrate from, uh, from the US into molds that I, uh, I made myself or uh, outsourced them, sometimes 3D printed, sometimes, sometimes thermoformed. And, uh, and it, started, uh, it started slowly, but quite well. Um, first with some packaging customers. However, as we were back then, roughly 20 times more expensive than a comparable product in uh, styrofoam. It was quite difficult to, uh, to sell it, which uh, uh, made us divert into the uh, industry of interior project products, like, for example, the lamps that were mentioned earlier, or uh, chairs, tables, wine coolers as well. And uh, as you can imagine, it's much easier to sell a product like that for a somewhat higher price than a packaging um, but meanwhile, we developed, and uh, through various steps, we uh, we moved from from small garage in my house to small studio to small factory to a factory that we now have in uh, in Heerenwaarden near uh, Zaltbommel, uh, where we at the moment grow roughly two to three thousand 
mainly packaging products every week. Um, here's uh, uh, an example of one of our first customers, Heckles in uh, the UK, who uses it as a protective packaging for very sensitive products. And during that period, um, we uh, uh, it was in 2018, we uh, actually signed the official uh, distribution license of uh, Ecovative for Europe and for Africa. Africa is a small dream that we hold that we will we want to focus on later, but for now our focus is on uh, on Europe with packaging, with building materials, and with interior products. And currently, we do that all out of our small factory. And hopefully, we would be able to let's say branch out into uh, separate activities. And um, one of our uh, thoughts, thoughts or one of our hesitations in the beginning was, what shall we do if we grow? Do we grow into from uh, from one big factory to a bigger factory, maybe even two or three big factories, or shall we grow into uh, uh, maybe 20, 30 small factories? And uh, it was that last thought that, that appeals to us much, much more, although maybe it's not from the financial point of view the best option, because with a big factory, you can really make some economies of scale. But uh, we've, we see some, let's say, other reasons to do it, which are in fact, just more appealing to us as persons. One of them is that we uh, we look for partners in the various countries in Europe who know that market locally uh, and who can help us develop the business and uh, maybe when we are big enough in that country, start uh, building a factory together. Um, and that that local that that's 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 let's say cooperation in local partnerships is quite uh, is what we just find interesting. Another reason is that when you go local, you can use local waste streams to uh, to manufacture product instead of using hemp from Groningen and ship that all the way down to Spain or or, uh, or Germany or Poland. Uh, for example, at the moment we are uh, in a cooperation with a Spanish company who is our partner there, and they uh, have quite a lot of rice uh, waste waste from the rice production industry that is now incinerated and that we have now successfully say, co-inoculated into our substrate, which makes it possible to use the local waste and bring products locally to uh, to customers. Um, as you can imagine for styrofoam, uh, that it is a difficult product to ship because it's light and uh, not easily ship, uh, ship it far. The same applies to our products. So another reason to be local is that you are closer to uh, the customers. Our, as I said, our main focus is products like these, the packaging, but uh, some of you may have also seen uh, a pavilion that we have uh, made in 2019 at uh, the Dutch Design Week. And we uh, strongly believe that the construction world is another interesting world for an important reason, which is CO2. Because with uh, mycelium packaging, we are able um, to capture some CO2 in the products, uh, but that will only be captured until the moment that you are composting it, because that's where the uh, CO2 gets released into the atmosphere again. And one of the nice things about uh, building materials is that they usually stay in the house for a long time, which means that you can also store CO2 for a longer period in uh, in a house. Apart from that, it is a huge industry that is in dire need of, uh, of more sustainable solutions. So... Um, several reasons to uh, to do this. But we are certainly not at the point of being ready to enter that market because our product is not yet certified. We need to work a little bit more on the uh, insulation values of the products. And another uh, challenge with uh, um, growing in molds is that there is only a certain thickness that you can use, roughly 10 to 12 centimeters. Reason for that is if you have a thick packet of mycelium, um, the mycelium is alive while it grows and it creates uh, heat. And in the core of your product, it creates so much heat that it will rise above the, let's say, the working uh, temperature for mycelium, which renders the mycelium inactive. So if you grow a very thick sheet, uh, the outside may look nicely white, but when you open it, you will just have loose material in your hands. And we're working on some solution to uh, to cope with that. Now, my... Uh, Last slide is uh, with some uh, uh, interior objects that we uh, well basically started with and uh, plan to continue with. This is the nice thing is that it's very visible. Packaging and also building materials are quite invisible. 
but uh, these lamps or chairs or tables what we make they uh, yeah they uh, they end up uh, in many places and are a beautiful way also to um, well to start a dialogue with people about what you can do with mycelium now i think i'll stop it here because i know there there are quite some uh, questions and i know emma you want to discuss a little bit more about uh, the patents and how that all works Jan, I was I was really um, yeah wondering why you choose for the ecovative patent because there are also Chinese companies that are uh, in in the or having patents. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So the reason is first of all that I was really inspired by what I learned from ecovative. I developed a good relation with Evan and uh, and Gavin. Uh, they invited me for a training for a week uh, or actually a bit longer even in uh, New York. So all of that was at the moment that I was not even aware of other patents. Um, and I, when I was there, I had to even learn more about uh, how that all worked. And they explained me when I was there at, at that uh, training uh, that if I was, was to, let's say, implement this in Europe, I would have to sign a license with them. Um, and being on, a, let's say, a very friendly but also professional relationship, I just did not give it much thought. As an entrepreneur, I thought, this feels good. Let's go for it. And, uh, and I don't regret it until today. Uh, and I don't think I will regret it tomorrow. We have a good partnership. They are fair. Uh, we have to pay. For, that's for, that's uh, absolutely true. But um, um, I, am, I, I find their position quite, let's say, fair towards us. We know that uh, we are, for example, a non-exclusive licensee. So we, they can appoint other uh, uh, licensees in Europe. For me, that is okay. But that's a personal opinion. I, I don't mind having to work with competitors. It will keep me sharp, and I think it's uh, it's it's okay to uh, to do that to see well. Whoever comes up with an innovation will will trigger me also to to stay sharp and uh, keep up to speed. Uh, Mark is nodding next to me. Mark, can you? <laughs> no, I, w- I was really wondering. Uh, first of all, uh, why did they patent it? Do you know that, yeah. or can you share that? Well, uh, I think it's just one word: money. And uh, I know it, it has been expensive. And, uh, I mean, it's not a, it's, they have so many patents and they have many of them, they have global. So there's really quite a lot of money going into it. They have quite some uh, funders with deep pockets behind them. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that they are aware that this is not going to happen overnight uh, and that they have to be patient and they need to build up a network of licenses across, Europe, across the world, in fact. So meanwhile... Three in Europe, uh, one of these uh, is, is grown, uh, one in Israel, uh, one in New Zealand, one in Chile, uh, and another one in uh, Australia. Funny enough, and I don't know why, uh, China or Asia does not have licenses. Jan, do you think that, uh, because I also have heard the story about uh, MM uh, Europe uh, here. Can you say who that is, uh, Nick? Uh, well, also, it's it's a spin-off of uh, well the the, the big uh, uh, tropical mushroom cultivation uh, C4C, and also well doing the part of the well the design part I should say. Uh, they also have of course discussions with Aben etc uh, about this whole uh, situation. For me, it is I think that well, you can have two routes to follow. That is, or you start opposition, which costs you a huge amount of money, or you say. Okay, gentlemen's agreement. I pay you a certain amount of money, and let's do it. And I think that if because for me it is also striking that we have here in the Netherlands we have Wageningen University, we have University of Utrecht, we have University of Leiden, uh, Radboud University, guys who are very experienced and clever with fungi, etc. I'm, I'm, I'm frowning my head that they're not starting to to well oppose against this whole patent situation because I do not. Yeah, for me, there is so much prior art, which is called, uh, 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 well, the food industry. We are making constantly biocomposites, only we are not using it as a packaging material because, well, what Rotterdam is telling, they put it in the ground, for instance, to make the soil yeah. fertile again, yeah. etc. Yeah. But if we dry it, and you can dry those nice blocks, yeah, you can also insulate your house with it. It doesn't look very nice, but it you can do it. So it is, for me, it is, it is, it is an... Yeah, the boundary between 
well, getting it patented, and of course, they have definitely very clever lawyers over there in the USA who have, well, written those patents, etc., and, and hammered it totally closed. Yeah, for me, I'm still surprised that this thing is still valid and alive and kicking. Yeah. Yeah, Nick, that's a, a fair point. And I can uh, tell you that I had the, the question so many times. Uh, so why didn't you just object? Why didn't you just find some prior art? Um, but uh, you are looking at, uh, uh, well, back then, a one-man show. So, I mean, uh, I, if I would at all be able to pay a lawyer, <laughs> no. I would have probably have sent him in the face of 24 uh, American lawyers. So I don't yeah. think it would have helped. Uh, the other thing is that, uh, and that's a, that's a question, uh, or that's, a, let's say, a, a surprise I share with you. Why hasn't anybody else in Europe thought of this before, of taking the effort of, uh, of, of let's say, see, uh, looking at the market potential and, um, and patenting it? Well, at the same time, uh, I'm now working on it for, uh, for five years. Uh, they were absolutely amazing. I, I don't regret a second of it. Mm-hmm. But if you do it, if you would, if I would have done it for the money, I would, I should not have done it, at, lo- at least not until now. Uh, okay. So you need some patience as well. And uh, for an entrepreneur, that's probably a hesitation. Whereas for a research institute or maybe a, an entity like Wageningen, they could patent it, but they need to have a partnership with somebody who can then bring that to market. Like for example, with the Spopo. That's a beautiful example of how it has worked very well. And also, do you think? Oh, that's a question for for all of you. Do you think uh, their patent will hold? Like, for example, if I have uh, the ambition to become the Ecovative Europe, I don't know, or with another another name, um, I can do that, right? That's something, you know, Jan, if you have the ambition to maybe, you know, patent your own fungi for, for materials. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, I, I've I've regularly thought about making or, or obtaining or buying my own patents, uh, but I just don't believe it's worthwhile for a small company as we are. I would really have to go and look for for money. Uh, those funders would have would will have will uh, let's say investigate the patents and let's say the, the 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 strength of that opportunity before they will will pay for it. So I have strong hesitation that it will work. Um, and and all of that in parallel to uh, just a very healthy and and and, and good cooperation with um, with Ecovative. Eh? So uh, they are we are in weekly contact. We have every week a call about operational topics, commercial topics, and they are support as supportive as 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 I can imagine as I would have wanted. Yeah, because I also read about it uh, about Ecovative that you know also. Yeah, besides the business model, um, the ideas of, of sharing or selling licenses is to give more people the opportunity or like small companies or, uh, or maybe freelancers to work with this material. Yep. So on the yep. other hand, that's something I always find uh, uh, very appealing to this. And I've, I've been to their factory as well and we, we talked about it, uh, about this model. So yeah, it's not, it has multiple sides, I think. Yeah, that's I think the nice thing about the patent is that you can control uh, also who can work with it and who also who cannot work with it. So in that way, if people are going to misuse the technology for something you didn't, uh, you don't like about it, you can stop them, um, and that's a positive part I think from a patent as well. Yeah, because also Jan, is that uh, do you also go through a kind of screening as a as a company, for example? Do you need to have a certain facility or? Uh, well, we were we were the first. So uh, with us, they did not do it. But I know that meanwhile, yes, they they check. For example, uh, uh, and I believe that Mogu was the one after us uh, coming with the uh, uh, license. After that uh, came uh, somebody in in uh, in New Zealand, and then came uh, MMC in the UK. And I know that the latter they really seriously checked it uh, before they wanted to uh, to give the license. They also have started something else, which is what I would call a mini license. And that is uh, actually distributed through us. So some of you may know that we also sell these DIY kits, those small kits that you can use to grow something yourself. Uh, And um, 
since a few weeks, we now, uh, with every license we sell, we also sell a, what we call a mini license, which gives that person the right to use the ecovative technology and, 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 and knowledge to grow something up to a certain amount, which is a thousand kilos. So also the smaller entrepreneurs who want to make a nice product, they could make it and even sell it. Uh, and when they reach that certain amount, when they get close, then then we should get into in contact with each other to see how we can further bring that, of course, in cooperation. Yeah, because that, that was that was also a question from my side, being a designer. For example, Jan, if I grow your kids and I design a fantastic product and I'm going to sell it myself using your DIY kit, how does that work, for example? So if you uh, would sell... Um, uh, let me just take a, a random example, an ashtray, uh, <laughs> and you start uh, 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 growing them, uh, many of them, and then I'll just hope you be become very prosperous with it. But once you get to the point that you start selling a million, I'm going to call you and say, hey, Emma, um, here I am paying royalties for a patent, and here you are not doing that. So shall we work together, or you have to go for your own license? Yeah, um, okay. For example, uh, you, we, we know Bob, who has done it for the coffins. We, we, we were willing to make an urn, but the big thing like a coffin is something completely different. So um, that is something that Bob pitched for uh, at Ecovative and, and, and got also. But then maybe uh, looking at from the different side, and Nick already mentioned it, what uh, is there a risk for Rotterdam maybe that uh, all of a sudden Ecovative or you uh, contact us and say, hey, you generate uh, blocks of uh, ecovative-like material, and you harvest mushrooms from it, but it's not allowed to make those blocks? Uh, well, I don't I don't think so, because we are not into the mushroom-growing business. That is really something different. Um, yeah, but where's the border on a little bit like uh, what uh, Nick challenged? Yeah, no, that's a, that's absolutely a, a good point, because suppose that that block, I have already seen many blocks of grown oyster mushrooms that are after the growth and after being dried are really strong. And I mean, in theory, you could just put them in between your walls and you have pretty okay insulator. Um, so if that would come to the market, then that would probably wake up Ecovative and say, hmm, let maybe, let's maybe talk with uh, those people. So that could be the gray zone. But that's fascinating because uh, e the eco Ecovative mushroom is not an oyster mushroom. That's correct, but in the in the patent of Ecovative, they have uh, listed mushroom mycelium, and they list, an, uh, uh, let's say, a wealth of names, oysters being one of them, Ganoderma being another one, and many more. Um, but uh, they they also add a little sentence uh, saying this is not limitative. So basically, they have been able to patent every mushroom in the world. Yeah. They, they claim, in fact, the, the combination of a mycelium and an, uh, well, an, an, a carrier, which is a biocomposite. Yeah. And then you have that structure which you're going. But in fact, yeah. that, that's why I'm just always against it, or at least, well, not a positive about it. Uh, Rotterdam, and uh, I think millions of, of mushroom breeders are making biocomposites all the time. And that's the funny part that... so. Yes, uh, the, the magic word is what Jan was telling, is money. And yes, they have a whole army of brilliant lawyers. And uh, yeah, to my opinion, uh, uh, if we don't have the money to, to against uh, or fight a, a proper opposition, yeah, this patent will stand there for a very long, long, long time. And it is nice that it is okay eh? in license you can do your your thing with this as a, as an entrepreneur as a, or as a company, but it, yeah, a license is also a, a kind of chess play that you make a kind of uh, well a strong move that you cannot uh, move your king anymore. Uh, that's that's also the the game of uh, of this kind of stuff. And, so and, this, and you are correct, Nick, that they are doing that in a certain way because they uh, they split up the world in zones, uh, Europe. Yep. Other countries speed up their uh, the activities in industries, packaging, building, coffins, uh, and who knows what more what what more can come. Uh, uh, but they also, I mean, in the in the first years we purchased our uh, our substrate from uh, uh, CNC slash Magical Mushroom Europe. So yep. 
Uh, um, that is something that we well, we also were too small to do it on our own. So I did not want to do that part. I wanted to focus on the part of growing in a mold. But uh, it's true that they are they are dividing it. And, 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 and the creative part is what I mentioned in my presentation is, yeah, just make a lampshade and you're cultivating mushrooms. But hey, unfortunately, your yield is very, very low. So, yeah, sorry, it's a lampshade. Or well, it is not a lampshade. It is my my way of making my mushrooms. So you can circumvent it. Eh? Yeah. There was also a nice question, what I saw in the chat. Hey, is it illegal to grow your spopomycelium, for instance? Uh what is Rotterdam doing in his coffee grounds? They are growing their mycelium, but okay, with the aim of having in the end fruiting bodies out of it. But there is always a stage that you have your, well, regenerative uh, growth of, of your mycelium over there. Are you then illegal? Uh, the license for Spopo is uh, that you cannot reproduce it yourself as a professional. But so okay, that, if, you, if, they, you, uh, if you take your bag of coffee grounds, which is inoculated with Spopo, and you hey, you have one bag, and you say after two weeks, for instance, totally white, I crumble it, and I mix it with a lot of other bags, and I enhance it that way, am I then illegal, or am I just, well, making my production uh, more profitable? Yeah, that's a good, uh, no, uh, that's a, a fact, it's not allowed at the moment, when you're a commercial company, if you're a consumer, it's okay. So that's also what we agreed upon, uh, Silvan. Uh, on our grow kit, you can we we tell people you can regenerate the mycelia again, so you can reuse the the grow kit constantly. Uh, but we, as a professional in our production facility, we cannot do that. It's not allowed. But in the corner, you can do. Yeah, but uh, what we see, uh, especially, it's not adding value. Uh, for us, because no, no, no. Uh, it's because already it, the, the the quality of the mycelia is going down uh, rapidly, so for us it's not interesting. But um, yeah, I understand the point that you're making, and uh, definitely. Yeah. So uh, Nick, I also had a question for you because, uh, for example, in the Netherlands we have the Westerdijk Institute in Utrecht. Uh, they have a big strain library, so to say. Uh, I, as a freelance designer, can buy a strain of. Uh, species X from it and I can also work with it. Do you have experience with that? Because how how does that work? Those are not patented, right? No, no, no. You have uh, you have strains which are just well on, on a general list eh? because the, 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 the protected strains well you cannot see and you cannot buy because they are from companies or whatever. They also deposited uh, their strains over there but it is not that I can buy a, 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 a strain in the past of Unikema. We also had to put it over there. And if you look to the numbers, well, suddenly you see a, a small jump in the number. That means that in between there is an, an hidden strain from a company. And, uh, well, in fact, all the strains which are over there, uh, well, are they from uh, uh, Vestedijk? Are the strains which you buy in Belgium from Mycelium from Mycelia, for instance? Uh yeah, also, lots of those strains, you can find them just in the wild and you can work with it. And, of course, you have to take care of the Nagoya protocol nowadays because that's what also is that? important. That's the protocol that it is, uh, well, uh, uh, what I should say, uh, uh, DNA material from all kinds of countries is not just, uh, may not move towards other countries spontaneously. Eh? In the past, you go to China, uh, there's always a nice story that the, the, the soy sauce strains of Japan uh, they are stolen from China, and the China say, no, they are stolen from Japan, eh, vice versa. Nowadays, that is, well, claimed in the Nagoya protocol, so that is more or less protected. Strains from the Netherlands are strains from the Netherlands. And, yeah, if you take them outside, well, that, then, then you can, uh, if you can, well, point back to it, well, it, where it's coming from originally, uh, then you should, uh, well, take care of that, because also, uh, of course, you should have, you should be a country which also signed the Nagoya protocol. because. The USA didn't sign it. That's also a nice story about the whole Nagoya stuff. But in fact, those trains, you can just use them. And 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 yeah, uh, also, uh, we are now busy with a bit of project on making uh, fungal colors, for instance. And those trains, yeah, they are just, uh, well, free to get uh, out of these culture collections. I can go to Westerdijk. I can go to Germany, the DSMZ. I can go to the USA at the ATCC. And you can just shift them over. 
Or or buy them at Etsy because I also found out that. Yeah, but I also have experience <laughs> with Etsy. There are also a lot of crap over there. Ah, of course. And, but and it's... that is and that is really sometimes you get only millet seeds and you think well they put flour on it and they say well that's mycelium <laughs> and if you hand it in your hands then you played it out well it's rubbish. Yeah, it's, I have it's experience. Fun. Of yeah. course, yeah, no, but it's just funny that we're talking about lysis and then there are people who are you know selling fungal strains yeah, yeah. and from from uh, Poland uh, to uh, to wherever. Of course, yeah. Th- of th- course. Those things you cannot say that they stay in their country or that you can keep them over there. And also, well, the invention is not the strain; it's the combination of a strain with a substrate. That's also what Ecovative yeah. is doing. They have a substrate, and then okay, they came to the bright idea, and I read that story in the past that he was just well digging in a heap and then saw that wood-like structures made out of mushrooms. Yeah, that was more or less the basis of his whole patent uh, in the end. What what I liked about I've been growing mushrooms now for almost eight years, and and what I liked about it is by doing things uh, you become more innovative. And uh, what I was wondering, how does it work with you, uh, working on a license, uh, but doing it yourself? And by doing it, you see new opportunities, you see new innovative things. Um, can you, you know, well, I think if you give it back to the founders of the patent. There's a risk that they patented, but you brought the idea to them. Uh, how does it work? Can you give yeah. an example? Or, um... Good point. It's, uh, it's, uh, it is in a certain way also covered in our license. Um, and uh, there's, there's many, let's say, topics that, that are suddenly become a challenge when you start moving from one thing, one object grown with your hands in a mold to doing a thousand in a week. Uh, you need to have a constant quality. You need to be quick. Uh, and uh, one of the th- first things, obviously, we thought of was to uh, to use a, um, uh, a, a an automatic way of filling, and uh, we found the solution in Alsmeer, where uh, in the uh, industry they have so-called pot fillers, so where they fill plant pots, uh, and uh, and and we have just rebuilt that that machine to slide our molds through. The substrate comes from above, and uh, we've. Immediately, just shared pictures of that to whoever wanted to know it, so that uh, so that at least it was out in the open. Um, so we thought, well, if you if you you can either keep it for yourself and keep it secret, or give it to the whole world, uh, so that at least the, the playing field is level. Um, another th- uh, challenge that we are discussing now is um, uh, some of you who have seen how you take a product out of mold is basically you turn your mold with the product grown product in there upside down and you whack it on the table then slowly the product comes out it slides out for that reason you always have these little tilted side walls but not always it comes out then you have to whack it a bit harder well you guess what after 20 times my molds are damaged so we are now working on a solution to um, to work much longer with these molds because on top of that while we are trying to push plastic out of this world, I'm using plastic molds. <laughs> so if I use them, I would like to use them as, lo- as long as I can. And we're working on a solution to, let's say, uh, pop our products out of the molds in an easier way. Same goes for baking off. Uh, that requires heat and energy, which is, let's say, something we need to, to minimize as much as possible. Thanks to my business partner, partner Arthur Moray, we have found a heat recovery system so that we can heat our, what, what we call the sauna, because basically that's what it is, just without windows, to dry the products uh, with a, a super, let's say, efficient system. And some of those things we just share and other things we uh, we won't tell to anybody. Okay. Yeah. Real smart things we keep for ourselves for now. <laughs> yeah, because I can also understand, Jan, that Ecovative is uh, interesting. And I also see a question uh, uh, from Gabriel. If you have any... Uh, uh, an Ecovative license once or for one thing, uh, is any other idea you have now tied to Ecovative? Do they get a piece of any pie you make forever? So, for example, if you have this very magnificent um, pop-out system for uh, to get mycelium out of the mold, you know they they also produce packaging. So, do you, is that something you share also in an open source way in order for them to? License, so, license. Um, sell to their, <laughs> yeah. their other licensees. It's a fair question. I I I, uh, I cannot exp- I cannot tell that because of the NDA we're under with regards to the uh, license. But 
uh, I can give you, let's say, at least the extreme. So if some, if we design something or any designer designs something that we make with, with mycelium technology, that design will never become the ownership of, uh, of Ecovative. So design property will never be transferred. But when you go really deep, really close to that process of growing, some of the things, some of the innovations will fall back to Ecovative. So yes, they have covered that topic in the license and uh, whoever wants to sign a license must, must be pretty awake when they, before they sign it. Let me just say it that way. <laughs> thank you so much for your story and your honesty. Jan, thank you so much for explaining a bit more about this very complex field because I start reading about it. Uh, <laughs> Mark, we talked about it today and about food. There's there's so many variables in the, in the story and uh, it's a kind of wild west story a bit yeah i think it's a dif difficult yeah you know uh, still struggling uh, what's the positive part of of patenting and um um you know it's mostly done for making money and uh that not always uh works well with some entrepreneurs uh i know and for myself as well Interesting. Um, also for myself, because on one hand, like I already said, I really find it uh, exciting that a lot of entrepreneurs and people from all over the world can work with with or discover mycelium materials and the beauty of, of it. On the other hand, um, you know, looking for regenerative business models, um, this is a business model in itself. And f f yeah, f for who? Yeah, but also what I learned now, I think that's the nice thing about Equative, how they work with it. And I, I think challenge everybody who's now in, uh, listening in the Zoom or in the podcast, uh, start a conversation with Equative and ask how you can work with it. Uh, for me, it was always something, oh, it's patented, so don't do it. But I think it's good that just open, try to open the door and uh, try to get the conversation going because also they want to... Uh, do business. So uh, I think if you have a good uh, opportunity, yeah. challenge them and uh, start the conversation. And you can still make beautiful or design beautiful yeah, products Don't or make stop, art. Or stop entrepreneurship uh, because there's already a patent. Yeah. Well, Just see it as an opportunity. That's a really nice uh, learning. That is what happens uh, regularly. Uh, they they just mention it on the site that if you're interested in a license, you can talk to them. And I also tell the same because that's how we grow in Europe. We have just made a partnership with somebody in Spain Last week we signed with somebody in France, and next week I'll be in Germany. So there's so many ways of, uh, of let's say, working together instead of trying to oppose each other. Yeah, nice. Thank you, everyone, and uh, hope to see and uh, hear you again in the next How to Buy Design, and uh, stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Would you like to attend one of our online meetups? Go to bluecity.nl slash howtobiodesign. If you're looking for more bio tips and tricks, join the community on biofabforum.org. How to Buy Design was realized with funding from Creative Industries Fund NL and edited by Puree Productions. Special thanks to our network partners, Rotterdam University of Applied Science, Willem de Kooning Academy, and to our international network partners, Glimps.bio from Belgium, and the US-based Biodesign Challenge team. Hope to meet you in our next episode. <laughs>